0: The scripture this morning will be taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him,
1: I hope you'll leave your Bible open at uh, Luke 15. Those of us uh, who assemble tonight at 6 o'clock, the Lord willing, will be looking at uh, an interesting incident that's recorded in the 14th chapter of Mark. It's a story of beautiful devotion. We hope that you'll be here uh, to share that with us of all of the Lord's parables which he told while he was on the earth and during his ministry, the one that is typically called the parable of the prodigal son is surely among the best known. Maybe the best known or close to it at least. And it has been studied Many, many times in Bible classes, Uh, a multitude of sermons have uh, been preached on that particular parable. And for good reason. There are so many valuable lessons that can be drawn from the first part of what Jesus said in Luke 15. For, For one thing, learn how the desire for immediate gratification can cloud the reality of long-term consequences. When that young man asked of his father to have his inheritance early, father wasn't dead, but to have his inheritance early, he never imagined how that would devolve into something not pleasant and, in fact, make him very unhappy. Another thing we see is how freedom uh, to do as one pleases can end up in unexpected misery, even a pig pen. A lot of people have thought, that they can just do what they want to do, and that's their goal. That young man wanted to live his own life, but he didn't realize that that life was a life that would get him unhappiness, not happiness. We, we recall from this story how right thinking needs to replace stubborn and selfish thinking. Uh, Until this young man had a change of mind and of heart, he never would have gone back to his father. We also understand the importance of repentance, a change of mind. No longer wanting to do wrong, but wanting to do right. And, And we are obviously moved with emotion as we see a father's forgiveness given to a returned rebel. We delight in the thought of a a joyful celebration replacing sad separation. Those are all good and needed lessons, and in fact there are many more that could be mentioned, but we must not forget that the primary purpose that Jesus told this parable for is not that. The purpose was to rebuke the scribes and Pharisees for what they had said about Jesus. If you look at the second verse of Luke 15, you notice, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus had to respond. He could not let that accusation go without an answer. And the answer is not just a debate with them. His answer is to tell three parables. One of those parables, of course, was about a lost sheep. One was about a lost coin, and one was about a lost son. I don't know if you've ever particularly thought about it this way, but Have you noticed that in the stories the numbers diminish? 100 sheep, 10 coins, 2 sons. And yet joy doesn't diminish at all. If I were to guess, and it is a guess, I would say that the joy over finding a sheep and the joy over finding a coin could not match the joy over having a lost son returned. Those condemning critics were much like what Jesus would continue to say as he finishes the parable. Jason did a great job of reading, but I want you now to turn to the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. If you look at verse 25, you would read this. Now his older son was in the field, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, that is the elder brother, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, you who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he, that is the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We need to think about that elder brother. We need to look at how he lived, as one fine preacher of a generation ago said, beneath his privileges. Let's be sure that we don't live like an elder brother. And let's ask the question how did he live? I think you could say that he lived without any real fellowship with his father. Do you notice his words in verse 29? These many years I have been serving you. Is that all he saw in his relationship with his father? Did he simply consider himself a servant? That could be a problem today. Are we only servants? Now, I'm not saying we're not servants. We are. We are to serve our God. But isn't there more than that? Isn't God our Father? In the 7th chapter of Matthew and verse 11, Jesus would tell people of his day, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Our Father does not want us just to be slaves. And remember that the father's words in verse 31 are these, All that I have is yours. It was there, and it was available. And when the elder brother said to his father, You never gave me, the father could easily have responded, Why didn't you ask? What about today? We know from the scriptures that we are children of God. 1 John 3, verse 1 gives us that amazing fact Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. We're God's children. If you'll turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 6, I want us to read this one together, if we will, please. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 16. The actual subject is somewhat different from the point I want to make, but it's valid. Paul would write in verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, now notice this, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Notice verse 18. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I hope that when you pray our Father, you're not not just praying as a servant or as a slave, but you're praying because He is your Father. We have to want that relationship. It's available. And if we don't have it, it's not because it's not there. It's because we haven't sought to have it. We sometimes sing that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Is He really our friend? We remind ourselves as we sing, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He wants to have fellowship with us. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't want to be distant, detached from us. He wants us to be His children and for Him to be our Father. The elder brother didn't seem to have that fellowship. How did the elder brother live? Well, I think he lived without a happy home life. You see, in the elder brother, we don't see any happiness, do we? His attitudes and his words show what's missing in his life. In fact, sadly, he was miserable in the midst of a wonderful environment. He didn't see himself as contributing anything of value to the father or to himself. He simply saw himself as a worker, a slave, not a son. Again, we ask the question, could this attitude exist today, even among God's people? I I think it, it ought to be pretty well known, if you're observant at all, that there are some in the church who never achieve what we might call the family feeling. These are the people who look at the church as they, not us. These are the people who who don't bother when they miss worship opportunities and when they miss being with brothers and sisters because they don't really feel themselves connected that well. I don't know about you, I don't go to Walmart because I love Walmart. And if you do, you're rare, I'll tell you that. But some people treat the church somewhat like they treat Walmart. I've got to go, I have some things that I need, I'll go there, but I really don't feel all that good about it. Do you see yourself as a part of a family? John prayed about that, good good thought. The the New Testament is clear about how it ought to be with us. Philippians 2 verse 2 says, Paul writes, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that we won't look at that instruct us to love one another and serve one another and be devoted to one another and to show humility to each other. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. It is very important that we provide an atmosphere that reflects what those passages teach. As the church, you and I have a responsibility to provide an atmosphere that people can feel like they're part of a family. But the trouble is that most elder brother types often only think of how others fail to treat them. Yes, in the New Testament, there are reciprocal obligations. I have an obligation to you, but you have an obligation to me. And I am to love you, but you're to love me. I am to serve you, you're to serve me. We have reciprocal obligations. The disconnected member seldom, maybe I should use the word never, thinks of their responsibility to others. In in all the many years I've been preaching, I've never had anyone come to me and say, Alan, I'm going to quit the church because I haven't done a good enough job of trying to be a good member of the church. A number of years ago, we had a man who left this fellowship because he thought that an elder had not spoken to him in the foyer the previous Sunday. Isn't that trivial? Isn't that trivial? Is that a good reason to to disappear? And incidentally, he wasn't any happier the next place he went than he was here. How did the elder brother live? Well, finally, he lived without developing the character of his father. You know, you've heard someone say about a little boy, he's a lot like his father, and I'm only talking about the good part of this. You would have never heard anyone say about the elder brother, he's a lot like his father. He wasn't. He he was much more unlike him than he was like him. Because you see, the father was willing to forgive. Verse 20 ought to touch us. As Jesus tells the story about this father, he says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I know it's a story that Jesus told, but if you could imagine this, and it's not unlikely that it could have easily been a true story. You wonder how many times the father looked down that road, hopeful that his son might be coming home that day. The, The father didn't run to meet the son and say to him, what are you doing back here? You, you don't belong here. Stay away. Fell on his neck and hugged him and kissed him. Because he was a forgiving father. The older son was totally unlike that. He was unforgiving. Verse 28 says he was angry. He wouldn't even go into the celebration. And then he goes off on his father. This son of yours, (laughs) not my brother, this son of yours. And incidentally, I don't know how he knew that his brother had wasted his living on harlots. How would he know that? Our God is a loving God. He's a forgiving father. And you and I in Ephesians 5 verse 1 are admonished to be imitators of God as dear children. You need to be like your father. And one of the characteristics of your father which you need to imitate is a forgiving spirit. Are we like him? Are we like our heavenly father? Would we welcome back one who has returned to seek God's forgiveness? While I was working on this sermon, I thought about an incident that happened so many years ago first place I preached within that small church there was a woman a member of the church whose husband was supposed to be a member of the church but he was living like a prodigal he was really struggling and 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 the devil seemed to have a lot of control in his life and it made a lot of people sad One Sunday morning, he walked down the aisle and asked the church to pray for him and to forgive him for his lifestyle. We thought there was a lot of joy that day, a lot of tears. The next month, because this was a very small church, the man who was arranging the worship services put that man to wait on the Lord's table. And after that service, one of the members came up to me and said, what are we doing putting Clarence Hayes back on the table? And I said, why not? Well, he needs to prove himself. You see, the father didn't say, I'm not going to forgive you yet. You have to prove yourself before I forgive you. He forgave him. You and I need to have that same spirit. We don't need to rationalize what if this doesn't stick or what if this is not genuine. That's not our business. Our business is to be forgiving. Let's close by noting this, if you will. Our Father God is concerned about all His children. If it's one that is his child by creation, but not as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's ready to welcome and to forgive. But you need to come to him in obedience. And that obedience includes you coming to a firm belief that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God, and His blood alone can cleanse you of your sin. You need to put your faith in Him. But you also need to have a change of mind about yourself. You need to say, I'm not going to keep on living like I've been living. There's going to be a change with God's help. That's repentance. And then you have to be willing to express that, to confess Him. Why wouldn't you want to if you really believe in Him? The prodigal son, that is the first prodigal son, wanted to tell his father that he was sorry and that he wanted to do right. And then in New Testament times, people who had obeyed the gospel were people who had been immersed in water to symbolically die to an old life and to be resurrected to a new life. Have you done that? You need to if you haven't. And if you are a child of God by recreation, the new birth, but you've been living in the pig pen, so to speak, you can leave it. You can leave it this morning, and you can come home. And He will receive you, and so will we. If you need to come, come now while we stand and sing.